0: You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in a series called Better Together. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Tonight, we're going to be in First Corinthians chapter 14. 14, if you have a Bible, we'll have words and points on the screen as well. But here's the big idea for this chapter, because I know I I could lose you because there's so many verses and so many tangents. And so like I can do topical message on a lot of this stuff. The big idea is that we submit our lives to Jesus and community. We submit even our spiritual gifts to Jesus and community, that we submit love uh, out of a loving respect and honor for Jesus to love not only him, but his people. And so Paul gives direction about orderly worship. As we gather, he's already made the case, everyone has a gift. If you're not here, it actually devalues the church. It hurts the church because the hand needs an eye and a foot needs an arm, and we need each other as the body, and we all have spiritual gifts. And so when we operate these gifts, chapter 13, we're to do it in love. But now he's gonna say the how. How do you have an orderly worship? So when you gather... What are you supposed to do? What's the order? What does that look like? We shouldn't have the gifts control us. We should have the Spirit of God control us. And so our worship to God with His gifts should be done decently and in order. And so he's going to talk about this. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, a commentator, As I was reading this chapter, wrapping my brain around how I can get 40 verses in tonight, he said this, Paul discussed the gift of the Spirit already in this section, the gifts of the Spirit, and the graces of the Spirit. And now he concluded this section by explaining the government of the Spirit in public worship services of the church. Paul had to remind them of the fundamental principles that ought to be governed in public meetings in the church. And the three principles are edification, understanding, and order. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good way to sum up this chapter. And when we get together and gather, since now we think it's important and we're doing it in love and exercising gifts, what are the principles of us, even Redemption Church or a church, to gather? What should we do? We should have the principle of edification, understanding, and order. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Paul's making the case for fellowship. Now he's going into how and giving specific direction into that. So let's pray and let's get into it. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are able to teach, that you are able to guide, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher, that that we would study your word and we would understand these truths uh, deep down into our soul and live them out to be blessed, to glorify Jesus, and to be a body. And so I thank you so much again, um, not just with hand claps and acknowledgement, but I do thank you for everyone here Uh, a part of Redemption Church, everyone listening right now, whether it be online, in person, through the podcast, God, we pray special blessing for uh, our hearts, that we would receive your word, that we would know that this is a holy moment, one that gives glory to you, God, and that's what we want. And so in our worship service even now, Lord, we pray for edification of the Spirit. We pray that people would have clear understanding and there would be an order and a service in a way that brings you glory in everything that we do. And so we ask this in your powerful and beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here and your spirit is with us. The first principle I want you to understand or write down is edification. Verses 1 through 5. A little bit of 26. Verses 1 through 5, Paul said uh, that we should do all, let all things be done for the building up. Now, edification literally means to edify, means to build up. And so you're going to see this word to build up in this text a lot. It's an architectural word a construction word, okay? Uh, But because Paul is giving illustrations about what the church is, he's already used the illustration of body, how we're a body he would use in other texts, how we're a family, how we're stones together. He would say this, now he starts using this uh, architectural word, this building word, that every member has its place and we're to fit together, okay? We're to build each other up. And this works well, actually, with body because if you think about body building, uh, when you do exercises, it builds your body up right? And we've already talked about spiritual maybe exercises or gifts. When you exercise that gift, it builds the body up. It encourages. It edifies. But here's the thing to build on his illustration. Guys, you're going to understand this. It needs to be balanced. Like for example, every guy loves chest day, right? They just work on their arms, their upper body. But no one does leg day besides Kerry, because, you know, he's actually fit. Um, Well, I mean, you too, Rob. You know what I'm saying? There there are some people that do leg days. Some people don't. I'm just saying. Uh, Silly illustration, but listen, it's in the Bible. This is what he's trying to talk about. He's saying you need to have balance. You need to edify, and there needs to be a balance in what you do. You can't just work on your left side of the body all the time or your right side of the body all the time. You need to build up and have things linked together and have balance and perspective and build one another up. And because you have these different gifts that you're going to exercise, make sure that this is exercise along with this. But not too much of this, but do this. And he's talking about spiritual gifts and exercise and making sure that we're edifying one another as we gather. So that's the big idea in verses 1 through 5, edification. Let's read it together and let's hear him explain this in his own words. First he says this in verse 1, Pursue love. We've talked about that. Chapter 13, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, he's talked about those gifts. So he says, hey, pursue love, exercise the gifts, desire earnestly, especially that you may prophesy. Now let's pause real quick because this is an important gift. Prophecy is to proclaim the things of God. Uh, It could be about the future because God's the Alpha and Omega. He does know the future and the end. Um, So prophecy sometimes could be spoken about a prophetic thing, but it's really just directly speaking from the heart of God. And remember at this time in Corinth, the whole Bible was not written. And so they would lean on prophecy and prophets to speak the heart of God, to bring forth the heart of God, to read Old Testament scripture, to bring things to about, to use words of knowledge and all these different gifts. But it should have been tested. It should be tested. And we can test prophecy by other prophets and by the word of God. He's going to go into that. And so he's encouraging them to exercise this gift, especially that hearing from God when you gather is important. And God uses a gift of prophecy to speak, and he actually is a God that speaks. This is very important, because if you don't believe that, you're not going to believe in this gift of prophecy that God wants to speak to you. When you come to church, you should pray before you come to church, God, minister to me, speak to me. I want to hear your heart. I want to know more about you. These are things that we pray even before we study God's word, that he would speak and minister to us. This is the gift of prophecy. Verse 2, it says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but God. Now, remember, what he's talking about is speaking in a tongue. Uh, we talked about a little bit about the gifts in chapter 12, but it's a prayer language. And he's saying you have a prayer language to God. You can speak in a totally different language. that's not native to you. God can give you that gift and you can speak in a language and it can minister and you can speak to God. For one who understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The the, Paul is trying to say this is a beautiful and amazing gift, but he wants us to know it has its place in our gatherings. And so he says, on the other hand, the one who prophesied speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So he's comparing these two gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues. He's saying they're going to be both building you up, but there is a difference between the exercise, especially when you come together. The one who speaks in a tongue, verse 4, builds up himself or edifies himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Both of these gifts build people up, but one is for one person. The other is for the whole church. Verse 5, now I want you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Paul wants to make sure he's not putting down the gift of tongues. He's acknowledging this, but he wants us to realize in a public gathering, we should emphasize prophecy. Why is that, Paul? Well, he goes on, he says, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. He wants the primary goal of the church in our meetings to, for people to be built up in their faith. And he says, if you speak in tongues, it's going to build you up and no one else is going to know. So if you speak in a tongue, pray that there's interpretation so everyone can be built up. And this is why he makes his statement that the gift of prophecy builds everyone up. And it could be a greater gift than just speaking in tongues because it edifies more people. Paul is concerned that as we gather as a body, people are built up. They're edified. They're encouraged. There's, There's a strength that gets dispensed as we meet together. And he says, spend time having God speak to you in the group through the gift of prophecy. Now, speaking in tongues is prayer to God. But no one knows what is said unless it's interpreted. Speaking in tongues is a good and great gift. And it's important and encouraged by Paul. But as you meet as a group, the main goal is edification. And he's going to go on in this case and make this illustration. He emphasizes this. And he says something that I think a lot of people probably don't actually agree with. If you notice in the very end, he says, Prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. And here's why. What I've known in the Christian church or even outside in the world is men are so impressed by supernatural gifts. And they, um, they, they overemphasize charisma and underemphasize character. Men are, are impressed by speaking in tongues or these gifts, or we would call it the power, or miracles and healing and prof, or, uh, speaking in tongues because we can directly see it's from the Spirit of God. But we're not so impressed by like the gift of administration or teaching or these other gifts that the Bible says are still a part of the body, in fact, are to be honored. You see, God is more impressed by fruit, love, than by the capacity of our gifts because he gives gifts liberally. They're by his grace. Some speak in tongues, some don't. Some prophesy, some don't. Some teach, some have administration gifts, some have these gifts and those gifts, but everyone, the common denominator is we should love God and love one another. So when we gather together, let your meetings be done in love to build one another up. And if that means speaking in tongues, awesome. But you should be able to have an interpretation. If not, he'll say, don't do that then. You just do that on your own then because you can build yourself up. Like, you could read Scripture and do these other things all by yourself, but when you come together, let's have God speak and minister and do those things. And so this is why he's emphasizing prophecy for the benefit of the group and not just the individual. Prophecy seems so simple, right? It's not very flashy sometimes. It's just reading Scripture in moments and gatherings. But yet it edifies everyone because people could understand. Because remember, prophecy is God speaking to everyone with his word, and we take and we need to value this. This is, some, this is why we at Redemption Church take so much time explaining scripture to you. Because we value God and his word and want to explain it simply so you understand. Because God's word is prophetic. And God uses the gift of prophecy as I even teach, or Pastor Robin or whoever comes up. He uses his spirit to explain and to pierce our hearts with truth. And oftentimes we don't see that or we aren't impressed by that. We want the flashiness and the the charisma and all these different things. But Paul is saying build one another up because God places a high value on his word and the gift of prophecy. If you think about verses like Psalm 138 verse 2. For you, speaking of God, have magnified your word above your name. God values his word and we should value his word. Jesus said in Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-five, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away." So Paul is saying you need to place a high value here on God's word as you gather together. I hope you see that value and that importance as in Redemption Church as we gather, because the public meeting should do things that edify one another. And he says, "So if you speak in tongue, awesome. Have an interpretation, so that way everyone could understand." And you see, that's the next principle, because he wants us to serve one another, to bless one another, to exercise our gifts, to build one another up, and to be submissive to God and to love not only God, but one another as we gather. So he next principle he mentions is understanding. When we gather, we should have a principle. When we meet, we should understand things. And verses 6 through 25, now this is a long section, but in this section he uses this phrase understanding or to help explain or to understand things over eight times. So it's a big deal. It's not just that we just want to come together and not know what we're doing. Part of edification simply is understanding and knowing what's actually being said because it's very simple, but unless you apply God's word, you're not going to be blessed. And if you don't know how to if you don't know what God's word says, you cannot apply it. So we have to have clarity and the gift of teaching and preaching to be able to explain this is how you follow God. This is what God says, and then you put that into your life practice and you are blessed. So it seems pretty basic, but it seems really important because now we're talking about uh, speaking in tongues and what I don't even understand what he's saying. And this person's doing that. And wait, that person's going to do this and he's going to get into order because there should be an understanding of what is happening. This is why I try to teach clearly God's word to you and I have slides and outlines and sum up things so you could understand it and then go apply it to your life to be blessed. And so Paul Goes on in verse 6 through 25, and he gives this principle when you gather, not only have edification, building one another up, so understanding who has what gifts, this person can do behind the scenes, this person could speak, this person could do that, they could do this, we're going to be a, a body and function fully, but now understand what you're doing. And this is a longer section, so let me just break it down as we go. First, verses 6 through 12. Paul gives three simple illustrations of the importance of understanding here. He says, Now, my brothers, If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I will bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He says, how does this benefit unless they understand it? It really doesn't. He he says, we can do knowledge or revelation or prophecy or teaching, but don't you have to understand what's actually happening? In verse 7, he says, well, if even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes... How will anyone know what is played? And if the, the bugle, the bugle, B- bugle, bugle, that's what it is. I know what it is. I'll explain it in a minute. The bugle gives an indistinct sound. Who will give, uh, get ready for battle? So with yours, if your tongue you utter speech that is not intangible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. Meaning there's many different languages in the world. English, Chinese, all these different things. Spanish. But I do not know the meaning of the language if I don't speak the language. He says, if I, if I, if I don't understand or I don't speak that language, I can't interpret it. I have no idea what's going on. He says, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. We're not going to be able to understand things. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and that's an okay thing. He even said desire spiritual gifts. But he said strive to excel in building up the church. It's okay to pursue gifts and exercise gifts, but strive to build one another up. Since you want to use gifts, make sure they're using them in love. And as you gather, that they're focusing on serving other people people. Now, let me break this down, give you these three illustrations again as repeated, now that I know how to say bugle. Bugle for battle. First, he says musical instruments. He says a harp or a flute. He says, listen, you guys all know a harp or flute. They play music, but if you just play random notes all over the place, it ain't going to make anything pretty. You're not going to understand. It's not going to be beautiful to you. You guys know the difference of someone playing the piano, reading music, and just kids going, It's not going to make any difference. You can't understand. It's not beautiful to you. It's actually annoying. It's sort of weird. Then he goes on and he says, uh, you know, a bugle for battle. A bugle has no notes. It's just this thing you blow and makes a loud noise and it's sort of annoying. However, people know when they hear that bugle, get ready for battle. It's a warning. They would look out, some enemy's coming, blow it. All right, we're ready for battle. So there's an understanding even though it's an ugly note. Okay, makes sense going on. Now he says in your normal daily speech, he gives this last example, he says daily speech, it's nonsense and it doesn't do any good even if it is good if the other person doesn't understand. It's like dropping someone in uh, Portugal or in like Brazil and trying to speak Portuguese and you have no idea what they're saying. It it doesn't do any good. Is that a real language? Absolutely. Does both of the people speak it? Yes, but there's no connection. And he's trying to give you this illustration. He's saying, okay, so when you exercise gifts, if there's no connection like this, then don't do that because you need to understand. And there are many other gifts that you can manifest. In fact, desire those things and practice those things. But Paul knows we all use understanding in our normal life. And so he's trying to tell the church, hey, connect this to your spiritual life. We also need spiritual understanding. And we get spiritual understanding through God's Word. We can test these things. We can know these things. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light and it imparts understanding to the simple. We can go to Scripture. We can lean on prophecy and knowledge and revelation and teaching to have the people come and to understand. And so we should make room to listen and to study so Paul explains that when an unfamiliar tongue is spoken, we should pray for an interpretation. Just don't let people just start speaking in tongues and everything's going crazy. And say, no, just if someone speaks, then awesome. Praise God. It is a gift. But you're a foreigner. So now understand and pray that God would interpret it. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, because of this, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Am I to pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. We worship God, remember, guys, with our emotion, with our soul, our spirit, and our mind. And Paul is trying to say this. He's like, hey, you can sing and praise God in the spirit and speak this language. That's great for your own edification. You could even do that. But if it's going to be part of the service, then pray for interpretation so other people could understand. Otherwise, in verse 16, if you give thanks with your spirit or speak in this language, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? And remember, amen means I agree. Come alongside of it. Yes, Lord. To your thanksgiving, when he does not know what you are saying, it's good for you to do. Um, it's good for you to do, but others don't know what is happening if you have no interpretation and you can't agree, you can't understand it. So in verse seventeen through nineteen, he says, "For you uh, may be given thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Again, edification. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you." So it is a real gift. The Apostle Paul spoke in tongues. Nevertheless, he said, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's a pretty bold statement by the Apostle Paul, isn't it? He says, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others to build people up. Then 10,000 words in a tongue and no one understand to be built up. Why? Because people need to understand and be built up and agree upon it. God wants us to worship him with our minds as well, not just our spirit, our whole being. And he's saying studying God's word, scripture, these gifts, things that we can do together are so, so, so important. He would write Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He would say, hey, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It is good for you to study and to understand scripture and to know what is going on in God's heart and what he says. This is why actually taking the time to study God's word is so serious and what we should be doing. You know, as Redemption Church, we take time, energy, and resources to proclaim God's word in a clear, understandable way. Part of that is actually paying for a pastor's salary to study. This is a biblical concept. In 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul would say, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And that word honor is an honorarium, where we get that word honorarium in English. It's a, a financial honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. There are people and there are gifts that you still have to labor in. That it still takes time to develop. Remember when we talked about spiritual gifts and brought this up, Peter said, you have to exercise the gift that you've been given. And it takes a lot of work and time and energy of you exercising the gift to develop that strength. And Paul is saying, even elders that rule among you, especially those that preach and teach, give them double honor or pay worthy, an auction not be... uh, um, you should not struggle an ox, he would continue on, I think in verse 18 or 19. It takes energy, resources, time to understand God's word and to exercise his gift. But he's saying it's worth it because it builds people up. So when you gather, let those that lead well have the time to build you up and to listen well and to be edified well. And so Paul goes on and says, we should think this way. We should value God's word when we gather together. We should value serving one another and using our gifts to bless and build up, not tear people down. He continues to go on about this understanding in verse 20 through 25. He says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, which means you can be immature and still be a Christian. You need to be mature in your thinking. He says, be infant in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. Be mature. Remember, we're to be renewed by God's word, Romans 12, 1 would say and 2, that our life is a worship unto him, and and we're to develop and grow in God's word and the saving knowledge that we have in Jesus. And he says, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Here's a big idea. God can do some supernatural stuff in your midst, and you still cannot have the faith. Did you know the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God? Did you know that the only the, that God can save people by his loving kindness leads to repentance? Sometimes we try to guilt people into the law. Or we try to say, well, if you just saw this miracle, Jesus said, man, man, you're going you're to see someone die and rise again. And unless you believe in that, like that's the sign I'm going to give you. You have to have faith. You have to trust me in this area. And he's saying, I'm going to give this tongue, this spiritual language, the foreigner, this is a supernatural gift, but it does not necessarily mean it will build up just because it seems spiritual. He says, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, because of this, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, the outsiders, uh, and outsiders or unbelievers in they will not say that you are out of your mind. Will they not say you are out of your mind? I remember actually when I was a teenager, this happened to me. I grew up in the church, but I went to another church. It was a girl I liked, typical reason to go to church. Uh, and uh, she went to more of a charismatic Pentecostal church, and they were just all going crazy, like speaking in tongues, doing their thing. It was like 27 people all at the same time. And I, I'm a Christian, mind you. I go in the building, I look at them, and I'm like, y'all are crazy. I'm out. They just left. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's going on over here. I don't know what's happening. Who has the mic? What's in control? You know, we sort of get used to our custom, but an outsider, if they come into culture and it's not clear and understanding, they'll be like, what is happening here? But I also remember as a teenager, I went to another church, a camp. It was amazing. I think, Lori, you may or may not have been there. I'm not sure. It was probably Calvary Olympia. And... Um, it was a time of sweet worship. We were by the fire, and uh, it was a teenager, like 18-year-old. He was older than me, but he was still a teenager and, a, and a, maybe a senior in high school, and he just started speaking in tongues as we were worshiping. But it wasn't like we were just worshiping, speaking in tongues background. Like, that, that typically happens. That's not a distraction. We sing in the Spirit. We sing with our mind. No big deal. It was like pure silence. Let's wait on the Lord, and he just starts speaking in tongues. And you're just, I'm just like, okay. And the guy goes, let's just pray for an interpretation. And then God gave the interpretation. And it was amazing. It was so much different. It was like, oh, God spoke that way. This is awesome. And then someone shared some verses. Another person prophesied. We sang another song. Just waiting on God. Totally normal. Edified the whole group. Two different experiences. And Paul is saying, listen, remember that there is an order that people need to understand. He goes on and talks about this with the gift of tongues and prophecy in this comparison still. He says in verse 24, but if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, So now we're dealing with unbeliever or an outsider. If he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God declare, uh, and declare what God is really among you. Uh, Paul is saying the mature in faith serve others and think this way. And these verses are basically saying, hey, when you read uh, the word of God or have prophecy, believer or non-believer, truth is truth. That's why you could prophesy over someone and say, God loves you. And they can have an argument and you can learn all the other answers from the apologetics class and all the synthesize, all this different stuff. But you could just prophesy and say, God still loves you. But you don't know what I did and how I said, but God loves you. Remember when Paul said that he would rather speak five words of edification than 10,000? And sometimes we think, oh, we need to do all this, this, and this. God loves you. That's only three. I got two words left, people. I could build people up by just saying God loves you. That is a prophetic message to the world. They need to hear that. And so Paul is saying, listen, when you come to a meeting you need, whether it be speaking in tongues, whether it be prophecy, it needs to build people up. People need to be edified and they need to understand what's going on because it's not just about the individual, it's about the whole body because everyone benefits when there's understanding and that's why prophecy can pierce the heart because it's truth to an unbeliever and a non-believer. Paul would say it another way in Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3-5, through five, Do nothing from selfish ambition, I found there's a lot of selfish ambition and we try to prove ourselves to be spiritual with one another, putting other people down or or bragging or boasting. But he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. In verse five, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, the Corinth church was having a a problem because they had all these spiritual gifts and they were practicing them and they were going crazy and not thinking about other people and not loving. And oftentimes we do some stupid stuff to boast ourselves up, to be all about us, but God says you need to be other centered, not just loving me, but loving other people. So when you gather, don't be a distraction. And now Paul gives a third principle of when the church should gather. They shouldn't just be built up, edified, that we need to be linking arms and practicing gifts and having serving and administration and tongues and prophecy and teaching and revelation and all these things working together. There needs to be a clear understanding, but then there needs to be order. Decency, he says in verse 26 through 40. So you have edification, understanding, and the last principle, order. There is a way in which we should do things to honor the Lord. How we accomplish the mission matters just as much as accomplishing the mission. We should know this by now by reading his chapter in chapter 13. It's like the gifts, the 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 gifts in 14 and 12 and in the middle there's that that connector love. It's not just how it's not just what you do but it's how you do things. Love matters. Not just the finished product. I know for me, this is something that I, I continue to struggle with. I continue to have to repent and say, okay, the, the, the means don't justify the end. I have to figure out how to accomplish what I need to accomplish and be loving in doing so. Because if I figure out that, that's more important to God than just getting something accomplished. The way in which we do things matters and God wants us to do things in order and so Paul gives some pretty easy things to understand and how to have an orderly service. In verses 26-33, to he says, So then, brothers, speaking to believers, these Christians that were immature, that had all these gifts, they were immature, they could think, oh man, I'm not even saved or this. No, you are. This is a developing, hey, the, the, the stronger should, should uh, strengthen the weak. And Paul's using his gift of teaching and exhortation to say, hey, Brothers, when you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. Paul explaining that, listen, having some structure, some order is important because it helps build people up. And whether that's a tongue, interpretation, a revelation, speaking, a hymn, well these are all good things, but there's some order to it. This is why there are leadership and elders to give direction and have order and to lead people in these spiritual practices. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn. So, okay, do it in order. Let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself to God. Don't rebuke them. Don't correct them. They just, okay, well, there's no one to interpret. Keep on speaking in tongues and praising the Lord and the Spirit of Himself, But since no one can interpret right now, we're going to continue to practice some things that uh, we want to build the body up in this moment. All right. But in verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. All gifts of the Spirit don't have to come all at once. You can take your time. There's a sense of, a peaceful sense of the work of the Spirit that he brings as he brings clarity to the meeting as God is the teacher. And so he says in verse 31, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophet are subject to the pro- to prophets. Meaning just because someone says thus says the Lord doesn't mean that it is from the Lord. Elders, pastors, the leaders of the church should lead a congregation in meetings and judge the content which should be spoken of. For God is not a God of confusion, he says, but of peace. Funny story. We have time. You ain't going anywhere. I got the mic. Uh, my dad, I remember growing up both for a male and a female. I remember this, uh, I remember one of them. I don't remember the other, but I do remember these stories and him telling this. Uh, There have been times in the church uh, when growing up, a man in a three-piece suit would come in and say, God told me today to speak to the church. And then there was another time when a lady, she came to the church, the congregation, and says that God sent me here to speak to the church. And my dad's response was, and it's so funny because you know he's just, oh gee, don't even care. He's like, Well, God didn't tell me. That's it. One of the women, after God said, come to the church and speak, started giving a curse to my family and my dad. In Jesus' name or Satan or something. It was crazy, right? So you're like, okay, that's weird. Uh, The other guy, we had to kick him out because he got in a fight with an elder. Awesome, okay? So just because someone says, thus says the Lord... Doesn't mean that there should speak or we should even take. There should be some weight. And 1 John 4, 1 says you're to test all spirits. And what this is saying is it's like, listen, let those weigh what has said. If there's prophecy or an interpretation or these type of things, there needs to be some spiritual maturity because a prophet is subject to a prophet. And there should be peace for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. There's nothing wrong with having an order to your service. In fact, I would say it seems biblical. It seems biblical to have a plan, to have a service. Oftentimes in the Christian world, we think that the more spon- the spirit is so spontaneous and the spirit's moving, man, then we're just out of control and we're just getting to emotions and we're speaking in tongues and we're running up and down the aisles and slaying the spirit. I would actually say the spirit is more like a planner. It was the spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead who has planned that for a very long time. He actually orchestrated that this would all be a part of his plan. And the Spirit works systematically and appoints elders and leaders. And I would say elders plan and pray and lead. The Holy Spirit works supernaturally in natural ways through spiritual disciplines, doesn't he? Oftentimes we get so impressed by what we think is so spiritual. And Paul is saying, hey, prophecy is spiritual, but just do it one at a time so you can understand. So people be built up. And don't do just all the prophecy. Have a tongue and interpret it. And don't just do that. Sing a song. Oh, and do this gift and do that gift. Well, you can't do it all. Well, there could be discernment. There's eldership. You should go ahead and just figure this out and just lead people through edification pointing. And there should be some order, a systematic way to follow God in our meetings and to study and to cover things. And so if you decided, you know, we decided as a church, we want our services to be about an hour and a half now I could literally teach a Bible study for four and a half hours. I could teach that on this chapter alone, but we systematically prayed through and said that would probably be too much for our children's workers. And most of you guys would fall asleep. So let's break that down because we want to build you up and edify and we'll only go for about ah, 45 to 55 minutes of teaching. That's about it. I know some people, they say, that's not, that's too long for us. We have to go 25 minutes or we do this more and that more. That's great. That's subject to the leadership as they pray through and ask God, what gifts do we have? How can we develop and grow the church? And there is an order of service. Now, these are pretty easy things. Let's tackle a hard thing. Paul gives us a pretty hard example to understand, or at least culturally, it seems hard in order to understand verse 34 through 35 still talking about order still talking about building one another up he says as in all the churches of the saints the women should keep silent in churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says if there is anything they desire to learn let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church now seems pretty harsh seems what's he talking about let's get context because remember we're in chapter 14 and we haven't gone through the whole study of 1 Corinthians At the time, culturally, men and women would usually typically sit in separate sides of a sanctuary or a meeting or a gathering. And as things were going on in Corinth in the service, things things got a little crazy and wives were screaming out and asking their husbands, what is going on? Can you explain that? And they were yelling across from one another. This is why it says, he says, let them, speaking of the wives, ask their husbands at home. Which assumes a couple of things. It assumes that a husband should be leading the home, being able to explain scripture and to have the spiritual discernment to lead their family. But it also assumes a couple of other things that women should understand that they can ask questions, but there is a time and an order. Now, why do I say this? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul already gave us contextually and assumed the right that women should pray and prophesy in a service. He already established that. So this is why contextually we know this is not just like women be quiet because he already gave the order just three chapters earlier saying women can prophesy and should and this is why he refers back to the law saying wives go to your husbands at home when there is this thing going on. So imagine if you have all the women sitting here and all the them in there and there's yelling going back and forth and they're trying to explain stuff while there's supposed to be someone explaining this and then there's craziness and people are speaking into, and she's like, listen, there needs to be an order. You, you guys need to understand this. And the ancient word, and if you do a Greek study of this word talk or leo, it actually means to question or to profess or to chatter. It means women should not chatter in the address of understanding these things, or people should not chatter. It suggests that this, there was this talking disruption in the service because there was not understanding because things were out of order. So if you have order, you'll have clarity, and these things will not happen. Which makes sense because Paul is now addressing the order of a service to edify one another. One commentator, Alan Redpath, said, It has nothing to do with prophecy or prayer. It is not public speaking as such but rather the context is one that is distracting others from clearly understanding what is going on in a service. Application for us today, because that doesn't happen. Y'all are sitting together and most of you guys sit in the back. What's up with that? I mean, y'all scared of me. We're not like they're in of so the front row is like 20 feet in front of me. You know what I mean? It's not like not, no social distance or nothing. But I was thinking about, like, like, Lord, what is the application of that? Because if you, if you just take this verse out of context, not knowing the Greek and not even reading the passage before, you would just think, okay, well, women shouldn't just talk. Well, that's not true because we know the Spirit of God came and both men and women prophesy, and He just emphasized prophecy. He gave order to women to do that and to pray. So what is the application for us? I was thinking whether you're a male or a female, The application is we shouldn't be a distraction to others during a service because that's what's happening, and that's what he's addressing. He wants people to understand so they can be edified and there needs to be an order, and he's saying, and this contextual thing that's happening, that women are just asking and men then are screaming back at them and there's this chatter in the service and disruption all the place, like that shouldn't be happening so we can hear the heart of God. And so whether that be chatting out loud during a service, making distractions, maybe for us silencing our cell phone, not coming in late, if we have to go to the restroom, not skipping and dancing, making a lot of noise. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it's pretty clear that we should respect what a service or an order of the service is to actually make sure we're looking to God. And if we have confusion, to make sure that we ask questions outside of that context. So Paul finally gives his authority on this. He actually says, what I'm saying, you need to submit to Scripture. That there is this order, that there is this way, that it's not just about you. In verse 36 through 30, or 40, it says, remember, it is not just about you. Be considerate of others as you gather. Verse 36, or was it from you that the word of God came? He's saying, listen, I'm giving you this order and it seems crazy to you and and don't just, everyone speak in tongues and hey, have an order and and let one person speak at a time and and do this and do that and do this. And he's saying, now, are you going to question my authority? Are you going to question what I'm saying? Did the word of God only come to you, Corinth? Or are are you the only ones it has reached? The answer clearly is no. They needed instruction. A spiritual gift Paul was giving to them rebuking them, exhorting them to walk in the ways of God, he says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If you really want to be mature and spiritual in the faith, submit and follow Jesus' ways, what the word of God says, not what culture says or not what you think. The Corinthians were thinking, we're so spiritual, we all speak and get the tongues, and that's great. And they were just going ballistic and going crazy. You know who the mature in the faith are? The people that follow God's word and obey. Just love. Even if they disagree with the commandments of the Lord, they say, well, this is the word of God, I will submit to that. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul is telling them that these are directions straight from the Lord and they should submit to him as he is the head of the body. So my brothers, earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Because you would think because he gave this illustration, well, okay, just prophecy only, the other get no. Hold on, don't just swing the pendulum. They're both gifts from God. There needs to be balance, there needs to be order so there could be understanding, so there could be edification. And he says in verse 40, But all things should be done decently and in order. Paul wants them to practice both prophecy and speaking in tongues and manifestations of the Spirit, but do so in a loving and orderly way to build up the body, to edify them, and so people understand who Jesus is. Just a few verses back, he would say in this text, Let all, uh, That all may learn and be encouraged. When we're edified, when we're learning of who God is and his ways, we should be encouraged. I'll close with this commentary from David Guzik about this section. He says, this is the goal. The gifts are merely servants to this purpose. The purpose is never to have a tongue or a prophecy at a meeting. You can have a hundred tongues or a thousand prophecies, but if no one learns or is encouraged, there is no point to it. If God chooses to bring the learning and encouragement apart from showing the gift of prophecy or tongues, that is up to him. We judge the success of a meeting not by if tongues or prophecy were present, but by if God's people learned, were encouraged, and were built up and equipped. And so as we gather together and see this importance of being together, let's pray we continue to gather And are exalted and practicing, and God is exalted as we practice His spiritual gifts. And that people are encouraged and built up in the faith, and we could understand God's great love for us in His Word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we just want to thank you so much that we can study Your Word and even hard contextual things and order and uh, things that may apply to us and not God. We just pray Your Spirit would continue to teach and continue to um, show us, Lord how to meet and what to do and that you would guide Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for this time of um, edification and time in your word. And And we just want to close our service saying, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are amazing. You are good. You are great. We love you. We praise your name. And we want to say thank you, God, for the fellowship that we have in you, that we could take communion, that we can uh, have fellowship with one another because of the blood uh, that was shed for us on the cross. And so let us remember that grace, God, that it's not if... Some of us speak in tongues or some of us don't. Many of us do and many of us don't. Or if it's not if we have the gift of leadership or the gift of administration or or miracles or healing, that doesn't bind us together, Lord. It is your love and your gospel. And so, Lord, may we celebrate the good news that you died and you rose again for us and that brings us together and we are better together for not one of us is as good as all of us. So, Lord, we pray for those that are weak in our body. We pray, Lord, that those that are struggling in our body with their faith, God, that you would lift them up. And, Lord, that you would use us to minister uh, your gifts of the Spirit and exercise love and pour out that on their heart. We thank you, God, that even in our times of weakness, we can have brothers and sisters come alongside of us and build us up. And so right now, Lord, as we just conclude our time in this series and even in this service, let us sing praises to you and build our faith so that we can be ministers of your holy gospel, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for this church. We thank you for this local community of believers. Lord, we know that we are small in number, but we are a great flame in heaven before your eyes. You've given us visions of that. You've given us prophetic words. We are here to glorify you, and you love us just as we are. So we ask, Holy Spirit, Jesus, build the church. Build your church. Help us to make disciples. Help us to continue to be faithful. Help us to continue to preach your word. And, Lord, we give you the glory that you deserve. So no matter what is going on in our hearts, Lord, no matter what is going on in our culture and our nation, Lord, we know that you are faithful, that you will sustain us, and that you are true, worthy of our lives. So we give you our lives once again. We take time to pray, to practice these spiritual disciplines, to just sing praises, take communion, and wait upon our Lord. And so as we do so, Lord, minister. Minister is only you can. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.